So I want to welcome you all here this evening and um, those who are watching um, at home uh, via YouTube or on DVD, big welcome to you and I pray that God will bless you as we take a look at this very important subject um, this evening, the seal of God and the mark of the beast in our Discover Hope series, Finding Peace in Uncertain Times, a big subject, um, the seal of God and the mark of the beast, a very important subject. It's a subject that I praise God today. I have the opportunity and the freedom to be able to share on this subject here in Australia. But I believe the day is coming when I will not have or nobody will really have the opportunity to share on this subject from the Bible as it is. So um, we have this opportunity and we're going to make the most of it. Amen. Now, before we open up God's Word together, we need to do what? We need to pray. We need to ask the Lord to bless our time together. And I'm going to take this microphone because I think this will help me. Loving Father in heaven, we thank you so much that we can come before you tonight. And uh, thank you for the rain that you have sent. Uh, we praise you for the rain. But Father, tonight we ask and pray for a different rain. Tonight we ask and pray that the rain of your Holy Spirit that your Holy Spirit will rain down upon us uh, so that we may understand the importance of this message tonight, uh, how it applies to our lives and the times that we are living in and how we can make a decision tonight to be faithful to you, to follow the Lamb wherever he goes. So bless our time together in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to begin by sharing with you um, the reality of the book of Revelation and the opposites that we find in the book of Revelation. I'll give you just a number of examples. Uh, Revelation is filled with these opposites. We have the Lamb versus the dragon. We have the New Jerusalem versus Babylon. We have the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and this counterfeit trinity that the book of Revelation describes the dragon, uh, the beast, the sea beast, and then this land, land-like beast. We have three angels' messages that God gives, and then we have Satan who has his counterfeit three messages that come out of three frogs. We have the commandment keepers of God, and then we have the commandment breakers. We have a pure virgin that represents the bride of Christ, the church of Christ, and then we have this harlot that represents the opposite. We have the saved who inherit the new earth, and sadly the lost who end up in the lake of fire. We have those who receive eternal life, those who receive eternal death, and then finally tonight, our subject for tonight, we have the seal of God and the mark of the beast. So in Revelation, all the way through Revelation, you have these opposites. You have the truth of God, and then you have the counterfeit of the enemy, whose name is what? Satan. And so tonight, we want to take a look at the seal of God and the mark of the beast. And these two subjects have this in common. They both deal with what? Worship. Worship. We've discovered over and over again that the central issue in the book of Revelation is worship. In fact, the central issue in the entire Bible, as you read your Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you discover that the central issue is over worship. Who will you give your allegiance to? 
That is the most important question at the end of time. And so tonight we want to once again begin by taking a look at the th three angels' messages. And we want to in particular go to the third angel's message, that final message that prepares the world for the second coming of Jesus. The message that has the seal of God and the mark of the beast within it. Notice what we read in Revelation 14 verse 9, we read these words, Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his what? Mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Notice twice. How many times? Twice in the third angel's message, God says, Do not worship the beast or his image or receive the mark of his name. Whenever God says something twice, it's for emphasis. It's for what? For emphasis. Very, very important. The message begins, the message ends, I should say, the third angel's message ends with these words. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. So here we have two groups. One group receives the mark of the beast. One group worships the image of the beast. One group worships and follows the beast. The other group... They keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus and they are described as patient saints. Described as what? Patient saints. Now you and I will end up either in one group or the other. There's only two camps at the end of time. And that is our subject for tonight. Now the question is, what is the wrath of God that those who receive the mark of the beast will drink? This is a very serious message, an extremely serious and sober message. And so we need to know what this wrath of God is and, and, and what it entails. Well, the Bible tells us in Revelation 16 verse 1, we read these words. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, these are the seven angels that have the seven last plagues to pour out upon the world. And notice what the message is to these angels. Go and pour out the bowls of the what? The wrath of God. Here it is, that, that, that phrase, the wrath of God on the earth. So the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the what? The mark of the beast and those who worship his image. This is very, very serious. It doesn't get any more serious than this. In fact, I shared with you on a previous occasion that this is considered to be the most serious warning in all the book of Revelation. In fact, many consider it to be the most serious warning in the entire Bible. Now, God gives us warnings for a reason. He wants us to be saved from deception. He wants us to be saved from worshipping the counterfeit Jesus Christ, which is who? The Antichrist, whom Satan works through. That's what the Bible says. That's what we discovered in a previous presentation. Now, it's extremely important for you and I to know what the mark of the beast is. 
extremely important that we know and what the seal of God is so that we can make an intelligent choice. Because nobody here wants to receive the seven last plagues, do they? Would you want to receive this foul and, loud and, and loathsome sore? I certainly wouldn't. And God does not want you to receive that which is part of the wrath of God that is poured out. Now, what will the destiny be of those who refuse to receive the mark of the beast? There will be one group who receives the mark of the beast and they will receive the seven last plagues, according to Revelation. There will be another group who will not receive the mark of the beast. They will instead have the seal of God. And notice what God says will be their destiny. We read in Revelation 15 verse 2, And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have the victory over who? The beast. Over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, sea of glass having what? Harps of God. So one group received the seven last plagues. The other group who have the victory over the beast and his image and do not receive his mark, they stand on the sea of glass. Guess where that happens to be? In the heavenly courts above. They are the saved. They are the redeemed. Can you see that clearly from Revelation? One group sadly receives the mark of the beast and experiences the wrath of God. The other group does not receive the mark of the beast. We'll discover this group receives the seal of God and they enjoy being in the presence of God forevermore. That's what the Bible has to say on this message as we introduce this message. Now, there are three all-important questions, end-time questions that we need to ask according to what we have just read. Firstly, who is the beast? What is the mark of the beast? And what is the image of the beast? Now, who is the beast? Who is this beast power in Revelation chapter 13? We looked at that in our previous presentation and we discovered that this beast that has seven heads and ten horns that is made up of, of a leopard, bear and, and a lion has crowns on its heads. We discovered that this power is none other than the Roman church state. Now, I made it abundantly clear the previous time and I'll emphasize it again in case you weren't here the previous time that when God is here identifying this system, he is not speaking against the people, not speaking against the who? The people who are part of this system, who are part of this church. There are over one billion Roman Catholics in the world. And, and many, if not most of them, are sincere, God-fearing, God-loving individuals. This here is speaking of a system of a power that seeks to take away the prerogatives of God and we dealt with that in the previous presentation. Now this is not a new interpretation for about 900 years this first beast of Revelation 13 has been identified as the Roman papacy. Notice in 1120 the Waldenses they uh, identified this power based on scripture as the Roman papacy. Then you have John Wycliffe, John Huss, William Tyndale, King James I. He's the one that, that initiated uh, the King James Bible, the, the, the wonderful King James Bible, King James I. 
Then we have Roger Williams, Sir Isaac Newton, Jonathan Edwards, and John Wesley, just to name a few. So this um, identification has been present for, like I said, some 900 years. Now, what is the mark of the beast? That's what we want to look at tonight. Uh, we've already answered the question regarding who is the beast. Now, what is the mark of authority of the Roman church state, of the Roman papacy? What is the, the very special mark of her authority? That's what we want to look at tonight. There are many Christians and non-Christians alike who believe that the mark of the beast is 666. How many of you have heard that? Okay, many. Uh, if you go to YouTube or you go to, to Google, you'll discover that the majority of websites out there believe and teach that the mark of the beast is that, is that uh, number 666 that nobody wants to have, especially on a number plate. You don't want to have that number on a number plate. <laughs> I know one person who took their number plate back, their car number plate, because it had 666 on it. They didn't want to be identified with that. But the question, as always, that we need to ask is, is this what the Bible teaches? That's the bottom line, isn't that right? Is this what the Bible teaches? Like I said, if you go to Google, and I went to Google just two days ago. Who's heard of Google? Who's used Google? <laughs> we all have, haven't we? I went to Google two days ago. And as you can see, I typed in Mark of the Beast. And in less than a second, there were 85,400,000 websites. 85,400,000 websites on the subject of the Mark of the Beast. Now, what chance do you have of knowing what the Mark of the Beast is by Google alone? very slim chance, you'll be very, very confused. So tonight, we're not going to go to Google. Amen? Amen? We're going to instead go to God's book. We're going to go to the Bible. And we're going to find out from God's word on this all-important subject. Now, just to give you a few different views of what's out there in, in, in Google space, okay? This is, this is what some of the different opinions and views are on what the mark of the beast is. As I pointed out, that the number, 60, uh, the number 666 and what it represents. Uh, some say it's a microchip under the skin on your head or hand, a new currency taking over from the US dollar. Others say it's a universal products code, like a barcode tattooed on your forehead. Then you have those that say the tattooed name of Antichrist written in Hebrew, since the Antichrist must be Jewish. Your credit card number tattooed on your forehead, a number branded or burnt on you like branding a cow or a cashless society. That's just a few different ideas out there of what this mark of the beast is. Confusing? Absolutely confusing. Has God ensured that his truth is simple and clear? What do you think? Would God, would God say under no circumstances receive the mark of the beast and then not make it abundantly clear what it was? Would God do something like that? Not on your life. That would be like me as a parent saying to my child, whatever you do, don't go touching the doobie at home. If you touch the doobie at home, you're going to die. And my little girl says to me, Dad, what's the doobie and I'm like, well, that's for me to know and for you to find out. Would I do that as a parent? 
No, I wouldn't do that as a parent. Not a good parent anyway. We tell our children what to avoid and we tell them why. We explain and we make it abundantly clear what not to do, which is for their own good. Notice what the Bible says in Amos 3, 7. Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. Nothing that is of eternal consequence to you and me, to our salvation, does God do without first revealing it to us through his servants, the prophets, in his word. Here's another wonderful promise. Deuteronomy 29, 29 where God says the secret things belong to the Lord, our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. God reveals to us those things that we need to know. Isn't that good news? Amen. That's very good news. You remember from a previous study, Jesus in Matthew 24 and Luke 21 and Mark 13 shared with his disciples and the Christians regarding the destruction of Jerusalem. You remember that? Uh, he said that Jerusalem would be overthrown, that not one stone would be left upon another. Before Jerusalem was overthrown, before the temple was destroyed, all of God's faithful people that heeded the counsel of Jesus that he gave to them of when they were to escape, not one of them perished. Did you know that? We looked at that. Not one Christian perished when Jerusalem was overthrown in 70 AD by the Romans. Not one Christian perished because they all saw the warning signs that Jesus gave. They heeded the warning signs and they all, they all left. They all fled for their lives when the opportunity came along. In the same way today, God makes it abundantly clear what his truth is so that you and I do not need to get caught off guard. So with that all in mind, we're going to take a look at these two groups at the end of time, the Revelation pictures. One group that has the seal of God on their forehead and the other group that has the mark of the beast on their forehead or on their right hand. Now you may be thinking, why does one have the mark of the beast on the forehead and on the right hand and you can only get the seal of God in the forehead? Well, without going into a lot of detail, the forehead is the place where we make a choice. We make a what? We make a choice based on the free will that God has given to us. And God only accepts worship and service based on the freedom to give that. There's no coercion involved. Whereas the mark of the beast, as we'll discover, you can receive that freely, you choose that, or you are forced into that because of circumstances. And we're going to get to those circumstances at the end. God only accepts worship that is freely given, but the mark of the beast, yes, you can receive that through coercion, as well as freely receiving it. Well, tonight we want to begin by taking a look at how not to get the mark of the beast. You see, two groups. If you have the seal of God, you cannot receive the mark of the beast and vice versa. The all-important question is how not to get the mark of the beast. That's the all-important question. That's the question that I would like to know the answer to. That would be just like if there was a, 
a horrible virus going around. Imagine there was an Ebola kind of virus going around right now. You're familiar with the Ebola virus? A deadly, a deadly virus that, that killed, sadly, many people there in, in, in uh, Northeast Africa or Northwest Africa, one of the two, in Africa somewhere. <laughs> um, now, what would you rather if I told you all about the Ebola virus and the consequences of having the Ebola virus, or would you rather me stand up here tonight and tell you how to avoid the Ebola virus? Which one would you rather? How to avoid it or just to tell you all about it? How to avoid it, of course, how to avoid it. So that's what we want to begin with. We want to find out how to avoid receiving the mark of the beast. And in order to avoid receiving the mark of the beast, you need to receive the seal of God. Now, where do we find God's seal in the book of Revelation? We find it in Revelation chapter 7. Notice these words. After these things, Revelation 7, 1, after these things I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or in any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the what? Seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have what? Seal the servants of our God where? On their foreheads. Now what? does God mean by do not harm the earth until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads? What God here is telling those four angels that are holding back the winds of strife is do not pour out those seven last plagues. Those what? Those seven last plagues upon the earth until... All of my servants, all of my people have first and foremost been sealed in the forehead. If you go back to the book of Exodus, you'll discover there that before the tenth and last plague, the children of Israel were sealed by placing the blood on where? On the doorposts and and along the side of the doorposts. And when the angel of the Lord came over Egypt and he saw the blood on the homes of those doorposts, the firstborn was spared. But where the blood wasn't on the doorpost, the, sadly the firstborn in that family died. And so too at the end of time, God says, those who have the seal of God will be spared and they'll be saved from receiving the seven last plagues. That's what the Bible teaches in Revelation. Now, in Revelation chapter 14, we also have this group of individuals and they also there are described as sealed. But notice the language that is used there. Then I looked and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000. Having his father's what? Name written on their what? Foreheads. Now, what does a name represent in the Bible? A name represents character. What does it represent? Character. Here, God 
seals those in the forehead who have his character, who have the character of Jesus. And if you keep reading in verse 4 of Revelation 14, it says, these are the ones that follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These are the servants of God. These are the, the disciples of Jesus. These are the ones that through rain, hail, or shine have stuck with Christ. They have not abandoned Christ. They have not capitulated to the pressure. The pressure that has been placed upon them to receive the mark of the beast, which we will look at in our next presentation. But they have chosen to be faithful to God. Now, what is the significance of having the seal of God or the Father's name on your forehead? The seal of God on the forehead, the Father's name on the forehead, it's one and the same thing. Both groups are the same groups as you take a look at Revelation 7 and Revelation 14. Well, notice what the Bible says. In 2 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 19, we read these words. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands Having this what? Seal. The Lord does what? Knows those who are what? His. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Notice what the Bible says. The significance of a seal is for God to identify his people. God to do what? To identify his people. God knows those who are his. He knows those who are his through the sealing process. Now, let me share with you five uh, key points uh, regarding a seal and the significance of a seal. Firstly, a seal is proof of ownership. It proves that you are the owner of that object. It has your seal on there. And we're going to look at that um, some more. Proof of authenticity. These are God's people who belong to the Father. They have the Father's name written on their forehead and they are the real deal. They are authentic. They're not pretend followers of Jesus. They are the real deal. And as we'll discover, they go through a very difficult time in order to be faithful to Jesus. Thirdly, it's proof of approval. You have been approved. You have found favor. Proof of irreversibility. That's what a seal uh, signifies. There is no changing sides. Just like when King Darius in the days of Daniel, when he placed his seal there um, on, the, on the law, stating that if anyone worship anyone else other than King Darius for 30 days, they'd be thrown in the lines and he could not reverse that law, could he? It was the law of the Medes and the Persians. It was irreversible. In the same way, there was a seal placed on Jesus' tomb. No one was allowed to tamper with the tomb of Jesus. There was a seal placed on it, a Roman seal. And also proof of likeness. Ancient kings used cylindrical seals to roll their likeness onto the soft wax so that all who would later see the seal would recognize the likeness of the king. I love that. God's seal is placed on you because you have chosen to be like Jesus in character. Isn't that amazing? That's what the seal is. It shows that you want to be like Jesus. You want to be part of his family. You want to be part of his kingdom. 
you want to be like him in character. And I, and I got this from um, a devotional by uh, a pastor, Dwight Nelson. Um, he wrote that in his devotional book, The Chosen, and I thought I'd share that with you. Powerful on the significance of a seal. Now, what are the key ingredients contained in a seal? There are three key ingredients that every seal contains. An official government seal has three elements, and here they are. The name of the person, the title of the person, and the dominion of that person. Now, this Australian coin has a seal, an official seal. Now, you can't see it from where you are, but I'll pop it up on the screen for you. Here it is. Here is this $1 coin. I have it here in my hand. It has an official seal that authenticates it as legal tender. It has the name, the title, and the dominion. Here is the name, Elizabeth II. Her title is where? The crown that tells us she's the queen, Queen Elizabeth II. And where is her dominion? Australia. Along the side there you have Australia. So here we have an official seal. Elizabeth II, Queen of England, head of, head of Australia because we're part of the Commonwealth um, and of Australia. So there we, there we have it. Here is an, here is an old seal. Uh, this is a seal from, from the 1600s of King James II. Um, there you can see it in this, in this photograph and it has his name. It has his title, King, Defender of the Faith and his territory, the British Empire. Something a little closer to home. Anyone recognize this person? Who is this person? Yes, the former president of the United States, Barack Obama. Notice what we have here when he gets up and speaks on the podium. Seal of the president of the United States. Barack Obama is his name. President is his title and his dominion or that which he has been asked to preside over as the president is what? The United States of America. So here we have a seal. When he and Michelle um, had, that, had that opening um, waltz on his inauguration day back in January of 2009, notice uh, the photographers, they snapped this uh, photograph, seal of the president of the United States of America. So that's what a seal Contains A seal contains those three elements. What were those three elements? Name, title, dominion. Name, title, dominion. If, and if you're ever not sure, ask my friend Matthew for some money. He's always got money. And he'll give you some money. And you can, and you can always verify that every time you take a look at a dollar coin or a 50 cent coin or, or, any, or any Australian coin. Now, where in the Bible do we find God's seal? That's a good question. That's a very important question because we need to find it in the Bible. No point in going to Google. Don't bother going to Google to find out where do we find God's seal and what God's seal is. Don't go to Google. Google's good for some things, but when it comes to spiritual truths, when it comes to truths that I need to place my very life on at the end of time, guess where I need to go to? I need to go to the Bible because before Google came along, God's Word was there giving us all the information that we need, especially on this all-important subject. Notice what the Bible says. 
In Isaiah chapter 8, verse 16, we read these words. Bind up the testimony. What's that next word? Seal the what? Law among my what? Disciples. So here God says his seal is to be found in his law amongst his disciples. Let's all, let's all go again. That's nice and simple, but very important. God's seal is to be found where? In his law amongst his disciples. And that's exactly what we read in Revelation. Those who are sealed are described as the servants of who? The servants of God. They are described as those who have the Father's name or the Father's character, the Father's likeness in their minds and in their hearts. So the question is, where in God's Lord do we find His seal? His disciples are sealed in, with, with God's law. So we need to go to the Ten Commandments. Now, how important are the Ten Commandments? Are they very important? What have we discovered? The Ten Commandments are the very foundation of God's government. Isn't that right? It's the very constitution of God's government, the Ten Commandments. They are so important that God wrote them with what? With, with his own finger on tablets of stone from his very throne room. That's what we've already discovered. So here we are going to God's law, that which is a transcript of his character, that which tells us who God is, is his commandments. And before we go there, let's not forget what Jesus said when he was asked, what is the most important thing that I need to do in order to inherit eternal life? What did Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, soul, strength and mind and love your neighbor what? As yourself. On these two commandments, which summarize the Ten Commandments, Jesus said, hang all the law and the prophets. And guess what all the law and the prophets is? The whole Bible. Jesus was saying the entire Old Testament scriptures hang on these two commandments. And so we ought not to be surprised that God's seal, that all-important seal, is found in His Ten Commandments. We ought not to be surprised. In fact, we ought to expect to find God's seal there. Because this is the most important document in the entire Scriptures. Why? Written by the finger of God. There's only one place. There's only one place in the Ten Commandments that you and I will find those three elements of a seal, which are the name, the title, and dominion. Only one commandment has those three elements. You won't find them in commandments number 5 to number 10. We'll find them in commandments number 1 to 4, which deal with our relationship with God. And the only one of those commandments that you'll find those three is the Sabbath commandment. That is the only place in God's law you will find those three elements. Don't take my word for it. Let's take a look at the evidence. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 11. For in six days the Lord, there is his name, made, there is his title, he's the creator, the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, there is his dominion, and he rested the seventh day. Can you see that? As clear as day, as clear as day, 
Those three all-important elements are found in the fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments, in the Sabbath commandment, which has everything to do with worship. Has everything to do with what? Worship. And we have discovered that the book of Revelation, the whole Bible, the central theme is over what? Worship. Worship. Let's go to the book of Revelation and just see if we can find God's seal somewhere there in those all-important three messages, the three angels' messages. And we discovered in the first angel's message, God's seal is right there. Notice, saying with a loud voice, this is the first angel's message. Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. And do what? Worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. This here, my friends, is where we find the seal in God's final message of love to the world. Let me show you, let me just break it down to make it a bit easier to see. Here we have the seal of God in Exodus 20.11, which we've already looked at. Here is the seal in Revelation 14.7. We're looking for the name, yes, worship him, that's speaking of God, who did what? Made, there is his title and his dominion, heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. In fact, as we've discovered, Revelation 14.7 is quoting from Revelation 20.11, quoting from the fourth commandment. And Revelation, sorry, Exodus chapter 20.11 is quoting from where? God is quoting from the beginning, from Genesis, where God created the world. So let's go there. Let's go to the book of Genesis and we'll discover God's seal once again. There in Genesis, in the Sabbath. Then God, there is his name, blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work, which speaks of his dominion, heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water, which God had what? Created and made and there is his title. So right at the beginning of time, when God created this world, he gave us the Sabbath gift and in the Sabbath, God placed his very seal. Ownership, proof of identity. God created us in his image. Oh, hang on a minute. What is one of the purposes of a seal? Do you remember those five points? One of the purposes is that the image of the person may be engraved on that document. Isn't that right? the very image, the very likeness of the person. And God created us in his image. And the evidence for that is in the Sabbath. He gave us the Sabbath as a gift. Are you excited about that? Some of you don't look very excited. I'm very excited that God placed his seal in the Sabbath. As a gift, and each week I am reminded that I was created by a loving God in His image. I didn't come from a monkey. <laughs> Amen, someone said. They should. I didn't come from some, some, some muddy soup out there in somewhere in some faraway galaxy. No, 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 no. I came about, and you came about, we all have a purpose, we all have meaning, 
And we are here because a loving God created us in his image, in his likeness. And he placed that as a seal in the Sabbath gift that he gave us at creation. So can you see how Revelation simply picks up what God shared at the very beginning of time in the book of Genesis? Is it clear, yes or no? I hope it is. It is to me. The seal of God is the Sabbath. That is the seal of God, the Sabbath. How are we sealed? How is the Sabbath sealed within our hearts and our minds? You remember? Jesus said he wanted us to love him and keep his commandments. And that can only happen in the heart when God places that within our hearts. Notice these words. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. And do not grieve what? The Holy Spirit of God by whom you were what? Sealed for the day of redemption. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Sealed by who? The Holy Spirit. How important then is it for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit? There's no plan B. There's no plan B. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you have no sealing. The Holy Spirit is the one that presses that seal into our hearts and into our minds. The seal is a sign that we belong to God. I've already shared this with you, but I'm just going over it again. Two rings. Two rings are designed for two individuals to give them to one another in order to, in order to be that outward sign that they belong to each other. Isn't that right? These are the two rings that um, appeared on my hand and my wife's hand. That's my wife's hand there, and that's my ring there. <laughs> it's in my wife's drawer at the moment. And here is our, our wedding certificate. Um, those two rings are the outward sign that we belong to one another. Isn't that right? That's why people give one another wedding rings, uh, to demonstrate that they belong to one another. In the same way, notice what God had to say regarding the Sabbath. Exodus 31 verse 13, we read these words. Surely my Sabbath you shall keep, for it is a what? A sign. The word is synonymous with the word seal. It means the same thing. A sign between me and you throughout your generations. Notice. For in six days the Lord, there is his name again, May, there is his title, the heavens and the earth, there is his dominion, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Notice God's sign and God's seal. They each have the Sabbath, which has the seal of God. Isn't that beautiful? Absolutely powerful. So here it is. In conclusion, if you keep all of God's Ten Commandments, including the fourth, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, you cannot possibly get the mark of the beast. You can't. You cannot possibly get the mark of the beast if you keep all of God's Ten Commandments. Not to be saved, of course. We've been over this over and over again. But because you are saved, because you love Jesus. Notice what Revelation 14 has to say. Notice that third angel's message again. It speaks of one group who have the mark of the beast. And it says, 
and the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. So one group receives the mark of the beast. Notice the other group. This is the other group. God says, but I have another group, another group on planet earth. Here is the patience of who? The saints. Here are those who do what? Keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Can you see two groups? One group worship the beast. The other group worship the creator. One group worship, sadly, the, the enemy, Satan, who gives his authority and power to the beast and he works through the beast and he's always worked through human institutions. And the other group keeps the commandments of God and has the faith of Jesus and they're described as the patient saints, those who are sealed by God at the end of time. So the question is, what is the mark of the beast? It actually becomes very, very easy to work that out. It's not very hard at all now. As Watson said, elementary, my dear. It's elementary. It's very, very simple and very straightforward. Very straightforward. God predicted in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 25, and we've looked at this already, that there would come a power that would intend to change times and laws. He shall intend to change times and laws. There would be a human power that would arise that Satan will use in order to change and tamper with God's very law. That's what the Bible says. That's what God predicted some two and a half thousand years ago. The Apostle Paul comes along and he says that is exactly what will take place. And notice what he wrote in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day, speaking of the second coming, will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So there would be this power that would arise from within the church, and we looked at that in the previous presentation, so I won't go over those details again, but this power would arise that would seek to take on board the prerogatives of worship that belong to God and God alone. What's the Sabbath commandment concerning? Worship, isn't that right? It's concerning worship. You choose whether you want to worship God by observing the Sabbath day that God made holy from sunset Friday to sunset Saturday. If you don't want to, God's not going to put a gun to your head. But you are choosing to be faithful and loyal to God each and every Sabbath when you keep that day holy, as God invites you to keep that day holy. Notice what the Pope says. Sorry, notice what the Church of Rome says the Pope has authority to do. The Pope is of so great authority and power that he can modify, change or interpret even divine laws. The Pope can modify divine laws since his power is not of man but of God. And he acts as vice-gerent, or that means a representative, a representative of, of God upon the earth with most ample power of binding and loosing his sheep. The other day we looked at what the Church of Rome claims it has the power to do. This is from the Converts Catechism of the Catholic Doctrine. Um, these words appear. 
Question, why do we observe Sunday instead of Saturday? We observe Sunday instead of Saturday because the Catholic Church transferred the solemnity from Saturday to Sunday. And finally, this incredible statement, Sunday is our, our mark of authority. The Church is above the Bible and this transference of Sabbath observance is proof of that fact. That's from the Catholic record of London, Ontario, Canada, back in September 1, 1923. So the church openly admits that its mark of authority is that it changed the day of worship. It changed the day of worship from Saturday to Sunday. So what is the mark of the beast? It's the opposite to the seal of God. What is the seal of God? The Sabbath. What's the opposite to Sabbath? Sunday. Was that difficult? It's not meant to be difficult. God's not here trying to trip us up. God is not here trying to confuse us. Babylon is confusion. We're going to look at that on Friday. God is not the author of Babylon. God is the author of truth. God wants us to know the truth. He doesn't want us to be confused and he makes it absolutely crystal clear and simple so that a five-year-old can understand what we have gone through this evening. It's very simple, very clear. And from the Bible, from where? From the Bible. We didn't go to Google, did we? Praise the Lord. We just went to God's Word. So the question is, does anyone have the mark of the beast today. Because there are people today, millions and millions of them all around the world who are worshipping on what day of the week? Sunday. The majority of Christians today worship on Sunday. We all know that to be true. Does that mean that every single person today who worships on the first day of the week has the mark of the beast and they are doomed forevermore? No, no. No, no, no. How do I know that nobody, nobody today has the mark of the beast? How do I know that? Notice what the Bible says. When the mark of the beast will be enforced. Revelation 13, verses 16 and 17, we read these words. He causes all, we're going to find out who this he is in our next presentation. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. What's this speaking of? The mark of the what? The mark of the beast. That's what this is speaking of. And that no one may what? Buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Now let me ask you, do we live in a day and age where unless... You receive the mark of the beast, which is, which is that mark of authority of the Church of Rome, which is Sunday sacredness or, or, or Sunday worship or, or Sunday being the day of. Do we live in a day and age where that has been legislated by government today in Australia? No, we don't. I don't worship on Sunday. I worship on the Sabbath. Can I buy and sell? Yes, I can. Absolutely. But the day is coming, the day is coming according to Revelation, that unless you're willing to go along with this worldwide 
political religious system that will be established that will mandate worship on a on a day on Sunday you will not be able to buy or sell and it's and it's around the world it very clear it tells you it's on the small and the great the rich and the poor the free and the slave everyone in the whole world that day hasn't arrived so nobody has the mark of the beast right now are we all clear on that but the day is coming when it will be enforced. Now, is there a growing call to set aside Sunday as a special day for worship, family, and rest? Is there, is there anything that is taking place right now that tells us that, that things are beginning to move in that direction slowly, but certainly moving and, 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 and gathering speed? Now, I could share with you for the next hour or more what I'm going to share with you in just a few minutes. I've done this presentation over two hours and today it's only just one session. Just briefly share with you some of the things that are already beginning to take place. This was uh, from 2012. This was Pope Benedict XVI and uh, the title of this article which was in um, the, the Vatican Today, I picked that up from the Vatican Today. Um, website, it's the official um, uh, news website there at the Vatican. And the title was Pope, A Family's Right to Work and Sunday Rest. The Pope in this article was pointing out that every family has the right to rest on Sunday. It's the right of every single family on the planet. Pope Francis followed Pope Benedict, and um, this was from July 6, 2014 in, uh, in the Associated Press. Keeping stores open on Sunday is not beneficial for who? For society, according to Pope Francis. And so there is more and more of a push today, especially in Europe, to have Sundays free for the family, keeping the shops closed on Sundays. So that families can spend time together. In the United States, there is this um, Christian group and they are called the Lord's Day Alliance of the United States, of the US. And their aim is to have the uh, Sunday uh, recognized by the government as the official day of rest for the entire United States of America. And notice this interesting headline, um, Sunday as a mark of Christian unity. What, these, uh, what, what, what was written in this article was that, yes, Sunday is a day that unites us all together. No matter what denomination we are, we are all united together on Sunday. And then from the UK, this is from the UK the UK is very, very secular. <laughs> the UK is very, very godless compared to Australia even. Um, and there is a, a group there and they, um, they call themselves, we are the Keep Sunday Special. Keep Sunday Special group. You can go on their website and you can discover um, why they want to keep Sunday special. Notice this statistic here that they have from 2005. 87% of people think it is important for family, stability, and community life to have a common day off each week. So there's a growing push in our busy rat race society to 
put the pause button on and to have a day off. Now you can't have one group having Saturday off, our Muslim friends having Friday off, Christians having Sunday off. You can't have three days off in the week. That's just not going to work. We need to just have one day off a week is what they are saying. And the obvious day is what day? Sunday. So how will Sunday be enforced around the world as a day dedicated to worship, family and rest? How will it happen? Well, this country here will play the leading role. The United States of America. Have you heard of the United States of America? The United States of America, according to scripture, will play the leading role. How will they play the leading role in legislating Sunday worship around the world? Good question. You'll have to come back for the next session. And we're going to unpack that. But I want to close. I want to close with the words of Jesus. In John 14, 15, Jesus says, If you love me, what? Keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. You know what it's all about? It's about loving Jesus. That's what it's all about. That's what it boils down to. Those who have the Father's name in their foreheads, those who have the seal of God in their foreheads, they are the ones that love Jesus. They are the ones that do what? They love Jesus. Revelation 14.4 is crystal clear. They are the ones that follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Wherever He goes. And they are willing. They are willing not to buy and sell in order to be faithful to Jesus. They are willing to do whatever it takes in order to be faithful to Jesus. Will you be one of those? I want to be one of those. Father in heaven, we just thank you so much for your word. Wow. Tonight we have discovered the truth of how we can be sealed, of how we can remain faithful to you in earth's closing moments. Father, we ask and pray that your Holy Spirit will continue to abide in us and that your Holy Spirit will indeed seal us for the day of redemption. Our Lord, that's not only our prayer, that's the prayer for all of our family members. That's the prayer for all of our friends, our neighbours. Father, that's the prayer for all of those who are near and dear to us. May we share with them the good news that you're coming back soon and that you're inviting each and every person to give their hearts and lives to you. Bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen and Amen and Amen.